0: Please, stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Well, hello there. This is Dee, and welcome to episode 26 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Welcome to the first of our next 25 episodes. Perhaps that's not such a big thing, but it's still something, I think. So how are you today? I just wanted to check in, and I feel like we haven't talked in a while. Are you keeping busy? Keeping positive? Well, as much as you can. Are you taking it easy or allowing your body to heal? Are you eating right? Are you exercising? You know, if, again, if and when you can. I I hope you keep moving forward. It, It may not seem like you're making any progress many days, but you are. Every day you make progress. Even if you hit a new wave, a bad one, it's still actually progress forward. It just doesn't feel like it. Whether symptoms are high or low, it's just your body returning itself to homeostasis. It sucks, and it can be painful, but it's healing. And in the end, It's how we get through this thing. Me? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Shanna and I are keeping pretty busy. We had a good 4th of July, Independence Day, here in the U.S., and we spent most of it hiding in the basement with our dog, Bear. If you don't have a dog, you may not know it, but dogs don't like fireworks. (laughs) Or thunder, for that matter. In fact, the weather here has been a big problem for us lately, Almost every afternoon, we have had severe thunderstorm warnings. A lot of thunder, lightning, hail. It's been odd for us. We don't usually get this much during the summer. And Bear has been hiding in the basement, shaking throughout all of it. Often pawing at the walls or doors or windows or whatever he can get his paw on. I think just trying to get it to stop, but we can't stop. But I I, I wish so bad I could convince him that it's all okay. My wife and I try to comfort him the best we know how, but there's not much we can do. They make a CBD oil for pets, and we tried some of that with him, and we think that might help a little bit, but not totally sure yet. Kind of like myself, when I tried CBD oil for some of my symptoms in protracted withdrawal. I I don't know that it really helped much, and I haven't done it again in a long time, but you know, we all try different things. We all try to do what we can We all try to find a way to get through this. And yeah, I looked for answers in many different areas, just like we all do. And I do the best I can to get through. In the end, like I mentioned earlier, we just have to let our body heal. Today, when I release this episode of the podcast, it is July 10th, 2019. And in case you didn't know, that means that tomorrow, July 11th, is World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day, or WBAD. <laughs> Yay, celebration! This is the biggest day of the year for the benzo community. There are a lot of great events going on, and you can be involved with them. Please go to the WBAD Facebook page at facebook.com worldbenzoday or follow them on Twitter at twitter.com slash worldbenzoday. And I'm really excited to announce that I've been invited to participate in their live stream event. On July 11th, WBad will host a series of events on their Facebook page. This includes a full day of people in the Benzo community providing presentations, interviews, and Q&A for you to participate in. You know what? Let me just run down the schedule real briefly to give you a flavor of what to expect on July 11th. All the times that I provide here are Eastern Standard Time in the USA. First up, at 8 a.m., James Moore from the Mad in America podcast will share three special interviews he recorded earlier for World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day. At 10 a.m., Belissa Frederick presents How the Lack of Benzodiazepine Awareness Impacts the Withdrawal Experience. She is unavailable on July 11th, so her show will be pre-recorded. And then at 12 p.m. noon, D Foster, yes, that's me. <laughs> I will be hosting a live stream event titled Ask D from Benzo Free. Kind of catchy, huh? It's, it's a Q&A with you. Please come check this out and ask questions. It might be a little embarrassing if I'm sitting there the whole time twiddling my thumbs, which I won't be. Even if I don't get questions, I'll try to present some type of information. But I really would like to make this a Q&A where you ask questions, we correspond, we talk back and forth. So please come check this out. Even if it's just to say, hi, I would really love to hear from you. At 2 p.m., Angela Peacock hosts an interview with Dr. Stephen Wright. Many of you remember our interview with Dr. Wright in episodes 21 and 22 of the podcast. And many of you have asked to hear more from him. Well, here's your chance. This interview was pre-recorded, but it should be full of wonderful information. At 3 p.m., Holly Hardman hosts another live stream event about her film As Prescribed, which is currently in post-production. At 5 p.m., Sonia Saiblow presents Benzodiazepines, Getting Involved Legislatively. She is also unavailable to speak live on July 11th, but her show was pre-recorded. And then at 6 p.m., Angela Peacock is back to host a live stream event titled Medicating Normal, and she will offer a Q&A, so go on there and ask her some questions. And finally, at 7.15 p.m., Chris Page will host a live stream event titled Supporting Therapy Clients with Benzodiazepine Injury and Surviving Ecstasy." Now, that is one full day, isn't it? Please come by and check it out. Even if you don't come to listen to mine at noon, listen to one of the other ones or ask questions and get involved. To learn more of this, please go to the WBAD Facebook page at facebook.com worldbenzoday and now back to our podcast. Today, we are releasing another double header. A few weeks ago, we released two episodes on the same day. It was a two-part conversation with Dr. Stephen Wright. It was a big success, and I wanted to do it again. In the past, when I'd had a guest on for an interview, I'd try and edit the content down to fit into one episode. But when I did the interview with Dr. Wright, I realized there was another way. And we released a double header with his interview in two parts over two episodes. Well, today we're going to do that again. Our interview with Geraldine Burns was chock full of wonderful information. And I couldn't edit it down. I wanted to keep all of it. So we made another double header. Thanks, Geraldine, for all the wonderful content. So today, July 10th, we will release episodes 26 and 27 of the Benzo Free Podcast, parts one and two of the interview with Geraldine. Since we are doubling up on shows this week, we will not have a new episode next week, much like last time we did this. Honestly, it's been a bit busy around here, and I'm going to take a little time off. But we will be back the following week on July 24th with a brand new episode in our regular format. Now, to allow room for the interview, we will reduce the sections of our podcast as we often do when we have interviews. So today we'll keep our introduction just as you're hearing it now, and we'll close out with our moment of peace at the end. Our mailbag and Benzo stories will return in a couple of weeks, but for now, with the interviews, we're going to keep the interview as the primary content of the episode. And in case you were thinking maybe that our feedback section would be skipped also, no, I'm sorry, it's not going to work that way. But first, I do want to thank each and every one of you. I have started to get some great questions, comments, and even stories in the email lately, and I am really appreciative of that. Thank you so much. I'll be sharing them in some upcoming episodes, and I really look forward to doing that, but I'd still love to get more. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, or even the number of licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Does that date me? Anyway, I need feedback. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the better it is. So please, tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofreeorg slash feedback, or email us at podcast at and don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And please remember that the Benzo Free podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you're listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Okay, let's move on to our feature. As I mentioned in our introduction, our feature today is an interview with Geraldine Burns. This interview will be presented in two parts over two separate episodes of the podcast. Geraldine is an amazing guest and so full of information spanning almost three decades. She was so gracious to take the time to speak with us. Let me tell you a bit about Geraldine. Geraldine Burns has been a pioneer in helping to get the word out about the potential dangers of benzodiazepines. In 1999, she started the first internet support group for people wishing to withdraw from tranquilizers or already off and having problems. This was the first group of its kind, and before it closed, had close to 4,000 members internationally. She was instrumental in having Professor C. Heather Ashton, Professor Emeritus from the University of Newcastle, write her manual, Benzodiazepines, How They Work and How to Withdraw, also known as the Ashton Manual. This manual has now been translated into 11 other languages. In 2006, Geraldine launched the website BenzoBookReview.com after she was given the rights by 11 internationally known authors of books that had been written on the subjects of tranquilizers, of which some were no longer being published. She worked to have some of them revised and updated so they could bring the most up-to-date information on tranquilizers and sleeping pills to the public. Geraldine has been a guest on a number of radio shows and is also the United States Representative for World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day. Now, let's welcome Geraldine to the podcast and listen to what she has to share. Okay, welcome to the Benzofree Free Podcast. Um, this is Dee and I am here with Geraldine Burns. Geraldine, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. I'm so glad to have you here. Somebody, especially with your experience um, within the Benzo community over the years and, and organization and activism, it's, it's, it's great to have your, your presence here. I really appreciate that.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Um, I was wondering if you could start off maybe by telling your own Benzo story, just to kind of, for those who don't know, can kind of get them introduced a little bit to what your experience was.
1: So, experience from the very beginning, how I got put on, or yeah, and, let's let's start at the let's beginning. Go just activism.
0: Yeah, just a brief um, summary of your of your story with benzos, how it started, and then we'll move into the activism part.
1: Sure. So, my uh, my um, experience with benzos was I got put on ativan after the birth of my second child back in 1988 because I had had a tough pregnancy, and I happened to say you know I didn't feel well and when I say didn't feel well it just wasn't a regular didn't feel well I felt like something was wrong inside of me like I weighed a thousand pounds I kept saying that and so you know no fever and you're a woman that just had a baby it must be in your head and I was mm-hmm. given out of van right in the hospital and I barely took it from March till August and I was still complaining something was wrong and I know I, I only weighed 105 pounds after delivery I knew my weight oh. why do I feel like I weigh a thousand pounds and I was told to see a psychiatrist because it was no fever. They did keep thinking infection, but nobody would check because of the no fever. So off to a psychiatrist I went where biggest mistake of my life. And there you're, I'm told to take Ativan on a regular basis. And I still was only taking, you know, I was taking a half a milligram as needed. And then I can honestly say I, it helped a little bit, just a little bit. The heavy feeling didn't go away, but I started to, experience anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, panic attacks, agoraphobia. So I'm going to like speed it up a little bit here. So that's okay. It, yeah. It It's just, I'm getting sicker on the drugs, but the only time I felt good was when it was peak in my system. And okay. then the doctor would try other drugs. So, but I, in 1992, a friend had sent me to a holistic nutritionist. And at that point, this doctor's got me on Elvil and Ativan. And I, I can't go back to my job. I mean, I was going to be off for a little bit and go back to work. And I went to a holistic nutritionist who changed my diet. Doesn't tell me that the drugs are bad, but he's got me feeling so good. He's got me on a candida diet and just a few supplements for my body. And I'm feeling so good. I'm off the Ellaville, not a problem. I can't even say I'm tapering the Ativan. I didn't even know what I was doing back then. And, um, I'm losing weight. I'm feeling good. I actually start going back to work on call and, um, and then when the doctor sees me, I'm seven months into doing this diet and eating right and feeling good and getting my life back. When she says diet has nothing to do with my health that I need to take Ativan for the rest of my life. Stupidly, I said, so I can have sugar and again. And she said, absolutely. <laughs> and I always I say I sold my soul for sugar. Yeah. And so I started to eat my old ways. and. Back up on the Adivan, I went back up more drugs. Now, I, I'm going to mention this for women. Mm-hmm. I noticed during that time, you know, as the years are going by on Adivan, that my menstrual cycle is changing. And I know uh, for a lot of women, they can either lose their period or they start bleeding heavily. And I went from perfect periods to bleeding seven days a month, nine days a month, 12 days a month, till the end, I was bleeding. Three weeks out of the month. Okay. And so I end up having, by the time I'm 41, I have a hysterectomy. Oh, and my okay. first question was, what was wrong with my uterus? I wanted more children. And my constant was, I wanted to get off the Advanced so I could have more children. And to be told it was in perfect condition. It's
2: oh like, my gosh.
1: What, you know, and, and as women, we do have to pay attention to the drugs we're putting in our body. Six months later, when I met my new gynecologist, I said to her like I said to every doctor I ran to during, you know, the 10 years I was on the drugs, I said I take this Ativan and I can't be without it and she turned and she said to me, "You are on one of the most addictive drugs ever made." Mm-hmm. And it was like finally, you know, the mysterious illness uh, that I'd been chasing was the pill I had been taking that I had been questioning. And I'm in Boston, so I'm going to some good top doctors here in Boston and not one is, and I'm questioning the out and they're all telling me, harmless, non-addictive, we give it out like candy. That's what I was told. And so um, she handed me a piece of paper and told me, you know, to be off of it in two weeks. So I kind of knew that would be hard. And I'm looking for information to help me. I found one little book from years ago, and I thought, okay, I'll just go a little bit slower. So um, I was on three milligrams in the end. And, and okay. any time I said to the doctor, the amount you have me on doesn't work anymore, no problem. She'd up it, you know. And mm-hmm. then now you, and I knew there was nowhere for me to go but higher, and it was time to take my life back. So the little book that I did find, um, I tape it over four months. And it was, I was tapering fast. So it's yeah. Dr. Regpert that used to run victims of tranquilizers said to me, that's a cold turkey that you did to mm-hmm. yourself. And, um, I did put myself kind of back on the diet I was on in 1992, but it, it just, everything wasn't the same. I was sicker. Now my body's even sicker. So I did come off and I tried my best, um, to, you know, do it. I did slow it down a little bit at the end and I could see, wow, all right, I got to go a little slower, but, um, Anyway, so I was off, and the first five months, I'm thinking, aside from, and believe me, the the withdrawal was so brutal, and my family was well-informed, and I think it's important to inform our families, and I could barely function, and my mother, thank God, was here for the summer, and she'd do the food shopping and the cooking, and I couldn't go anywhere with my kids. You know, They were 10 and 14 at the time when I was coming off of the drugs. I would go from the body temperature changes. I mean, you'd go from sweating to burning hot. And I kept thinking I had a fever. I had a thermometer by the bed at all times and yet I didn't have a fever. And I've got no one to talk to about this back then. And then um, one day my son said, Mom, you have to find others like yourself. And I'm like, the the Internet was kind of new in our house at the time. And I thought, oh, no, you never talk to people. If I find out you talk to people on the Internet, it is coming out of the house. And (laughs) there I was the one. He always says, I regret the day I put you on the computer.
2: Yeah, It was the
1: day that it opened up my world. And uh, one of the first organizations in the U.K. that I got in touch with was Pam Armstrong and Peter Ritson's organization, um, CETA, Council for Involuntary Tranquilizer Addiction.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, then they got me in touch with uh, Shirley Trickett, who then got me in touch with Professor Ashton, because there was no information I would sit and say, how is this not recognized? And I started to write a book called, uh, and I I called it Minor Tranquilizers, Major Problems, an International Effort to Tell the Truth about tranquilizers and sleeping pills. And I was collecting... Now I'm I'm like becoming a researcher. I mean, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden. I'm in touch with specialists all over the world, and I'm collecting information. But when Heather Ashton wrote her three chapters as she sent it over to me, it was so complete in itself. It was like, all right, this has to get out there on its own.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: from a medical professional and who cares what I wrote? Cause Shirley Trickett had her book out at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we were getting, um, Di Pritt and Di Russell's book, the accidental addict at that time, you know, we were bringing all the leftover copies, uh, from Australia, you know, for people to have. And, um, and then eventually we got the rights to all the old books because nobody wanted to print them. They'd say, well, it's been done already. What what else can you people say about Benzo's? <laughs> well, here it is these years later, and no one's listening still.
2: Exactly. So,
1: um, you know, then came a whole different thing. All right, you, you're still not listening. I mean, I'm summing this up very quick, but um, it, it, it's how, mo- how many more people have to die? How many more people have to get sick? Yeah. How many more people feel isolated from the world because – no one's believing them that they're sick, and something had to be done. So then we came to, to the legislative route. Somebody has to listen. And and actually, um, a pharmacist that knew me when I worked years ago, um, I always say when I was a real person, you know, he, <laughs> he said to me, "You need somebody needs to start doing lawsuits because without lawsuits, that's when the doctors will pay attention. He said, I see people coming in here struggling to get off, and I'm going to say this was – over 20 years ago, he said 90% of people fail trying to get off these drugs. But there was no information over 20 years ago. Now there is. We've got support groups. There's information. Yeah. I believe people are a lot more successful. You know, we're, we're a little bit more more knowledgeable. We still need more work done.
0: We do. We do. Uh, that's a that's a that's a great story. Yeah. Your 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 history, especially with um, how you started to get organized your, your conversations with Professor Ashton, because th- those three chapters she sent you were the beginning of the Ashton manual. Is that correct?
1: That that was the whole Ashton manual. Okay. And then I'm going to say one thing about that. It, you know, I had many conversations with Heather and she is the most lovely yeah. woman on the planet. And the one thing she wanted people to realize is that it is, she didn't want people to read it like a lawnmower manual,
2: mm-hmm. that it's
1: an individual thing. But she said, if I put all these different tapering schedules, You know, she said it would be 500 pages. And she knew that people have to go at their own pace, not because she set it in stone to taper every two weeks. Because we know in the U.K., some of the organizations, they only recommend every three to four weeks. So they felt two was too fast. So (laughs) it it depends on, I think, what dose people are. It's all individualized. There is no set in stone with this. So we kind of added a thing at the beginning of the manual, um, but because doctors were looking at the manual and I know a few people that contact me, that doctors were forcing them to come off strictly by what they saw in the manual. So we put something at the beginning, um, so that, that we would say it was up to the individual person. Okay. Um, and that's what she, she was so adamant that it, it be oh, individualized.
0: Wow. Yeah, that is great. That is great. You um, started a a group, too, on the internet with the the Benzo-E group you started. Could you tell me a little
2: bit about that? So it
1: started as, right, um, so there were a few of us I found. I think there were 24 of us that I found online as I was learning how to use the internet. (laughs) And so then it was like, well, we should have one place where we all go. So I think it was originally a one list or an E something. Then it became switched over to a Yahoo group. And so that came became the first online support group and it was a lifesaver for many of us and that's where we found our benzo friends and mm-hmm. I think having your benzo buddies you know, and then Colin started benzo buddies okay. is wonderful to have so i'm if anybody listens to the podcast that I had done before mm-hmm. i'm a big believer in having support and having your benzo friends, but living your life online, I have learned. Is not good. I think with all that I did, and I'm going to be honest about this, because I had people calling my house and then you checking to make sure everything's going good in your group, and it affected my own recovery. It, it slowed I my totally, own recovery down.
0: I totally. I just been going through that myself, and I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. And um, I I scaled mine back to just the book yeah. and the podcast for a while, um, yeah. because yeah, being online too much is not healthy for our recovery.
1: Right. I mean, if somebody's isolated and that's their only thing, that's where having your Benzo, you can see online who's like you, like as you're writing, Mm -hmm. kind of like the old days of having a pen pal. Now it's like, who are you the closest with? And I think it's important to have your closest Benzo friends that you can call. And that way you have respect for each other to say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not good right now. You know, Mm -hmm. can we hold off? I don't want to hear anything bad. Tell me something good in your life. And yeah. as sick as I was, I stayed in touch with my friends. I wanted to hear about their lives. Even though I couldn't live my life, I was living through their lives.
0: You had mentioned something about um, your quote, I think, was you were hearing other people's stories and that's what keeps you going. And that's something I've said exactly many times over. Yeah. Just, right. just the correspondence that you and I have probably both experienced, especially the, the time that you've done this over, over time. What have you learned from that? How, how, how did those stories, you know, how did they affect you?
1: The, the good and the bad story?
0: Yeah, exactly. So,
1: well, first of all, I know there are some people, they don't want to hear that people are out having a life. They they resent it. So I, I want to recognize that. And I understand that because they're so sick. They don't want to hear that you're out having a good time. But now for those, for some of us, I, I would look and say, I always say to people, don't look in the future because we still picture ourselves sick. Mm-hmm. So I would look to my past. And think I had a good life I was so energetic you know and so I would look into my past who I was and think that's who I'm going to be again because if I looked in the future I was still I'm sick I'm agoraphobic I can't leave the house how am I ever going to do this so I kept thinking and my other thing I would say almost every day was God made our bodies to heal and it will heal now does some heal quicker than others yes I have always been honest about my recovery it was pretty pretty bad and pretty slow Because again, I came off very fast. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of mistakes myself. Even once I was off, I did a vegetarian diet. And that, for me, probably was my biggest mistake because that set me back to make me sicker than I was when I came off of benzos. I kept thinking, nope, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going. And I got candida so bad, I fed my body everything it needed to just have Mm. that candida grow. So. Finally, I got an appointment back with the original nutritionist that helped me. And he was like, no raw food, not even a salad. If you want a salad, you will cook it quickly. Everything has to be broken down. And literally within three days of putting meat back in and no raw food, I started to feel stronger and better. Because Interesting. I, I thought I would die. I was yeah. down to 97 pounds. Oh. I never had DPDR when I came off as quick as I did. And let me tell you, I had DPDR. I was so ill. I I can remember my sister-in-law touching, coming down my back. I mean, I was like a skeleton. To sit down, I had to put a cushion. I had become so thin. Uh-huh. So um, I'm not against a vegetarian diet because we have plenty of vegetarians
2: mm-hmm. in the group. Sure.
1: But if you're a vegetarian, uh, and in fact, one of the girls I'm going to have on my podcast show, she's, I think, such an example of someone who did everything you're supposed to do. And as a vegetarian, she made sure she was getting good protein sources in. Okay. So um, she has done, it had to come off three drugs and has done phenomenal. So um, it's important to watch what we're doing. And I've seen others say, oh, I'm going vegetarian. I'm going to do this. And a few of us have given warnings. Then you'll see a few months later, oh, I am so ill. I'm so sick. And I remember somebody else in our group, you know, in my original support group who was sick for years, saying how sick he was for years. Well, he was a vegetarian, and he went back to eating meat, and he said 80% of his symptoms went away. Well,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's a good segue. You mentioned your podcast. And um, so um, let's touch on, you know, Benzodiazepine Awareness by Geraldine Burns. When did it start? Um, how was your son involved, and how did you get online, and, and what's the status now of that?
1: Okay, so, well, first, uh, years ago, um, I had a large organization approach me. I I actually was putting together an already recording back in the old days before podcasts. We were right. taping, um, and I was getting, like, Gwenda who who is retired now. She ran Tranks in Australia. I was recording. We actually had a dinner party here with three couples in my house, and we co- recorded that. And this was the husbands who all had to put up with us as wives who were <laughs> manipulative because we were so sick. And yeah. I had an organization approach me, and he said – and they have – were huge, multi, 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 probably a billion-dollar company.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they had approached me saying, you know, we'll do your filming. We'll do all the recording, but we want the rights to the Ashton Manual, and it can't be free anymore. And I oh. said, well, then forget it. Yeah. Forget it. Because Heather always wanted um, – people to have access to right. that who couldn't afford it and um and that's how it will always stay if people need a hard copy they'll get a hard copy if they want to look at it for free online they can but if right. you walk in the, into a doctor's office and say i printed this off the internet well then you're going to get that look so i think still having the hard copies and the sure. softbound book is important but the podcast came about because my you know for years you're talking over 20 years of people calling my house and my son said, "Mom, you know, enough is enough. You know, you've got to get it all down so people can hear it." So last March, we actually released the first four, and I, I put out what I thought. Like I, I like my do's and don'ts. I give my story. I give kind of the do's mm-hmm. and don'ts, or what you should do to get started. Now again, they're all my opinion, and you know, people. And even at the end of one of them, I say, "Don't even listen to me. We have to make our own choices."
2: <laughs> We've all
1: seen where somebody blames somebody else for how they tapered, and I don't like that because just like when we sat in a doctor's office, we just took something. We now really have to make our own choices. So
2: I'm a big believer in
1: working with a functional medicine doctor because we are all individuals, and because of the vegetarian diet and I really ruined my own body, I um, worked with a functional medicine doctor, and that was – at five years. So I'm sick for five years and but I'm still I'll function in the house and you know, they could get me out occasionally, but I wasn't um myself still. And when I did functional medicine and my I had leaky gut, I mean my mm-hmm. candida was one of the highest counts they had seen. I had different vitamin mineral deficiencies and I would say within three months and I I adhered to that diet and when I tell you I didn't cheat, within three months I had strength again. I was coming back to life and the one thing I refused to do back then, I wouldn't do the um to the, the liver test to see the function of my liver. I was just so afraid to take, you know, you had to do like a no-dose pill and a caffeine pill. I'm like, nope, I won't oh, take them. I, but I I wish that um I wish that I that he had just treated me that way because a few years later I did do it and and then to to find out, look, I've always said I believe that those that can just look at some can come off the pills and they don't have a problem. They don't lose five minutes of their life, but others we suffer. So I think the gut and the liver are huge, huge part in our recovery. So when I finally did the liver function test and you can see that my phase one worked fine. So that means I can burn it up, but my phase two was practically zero. It means I can't get rid of it. So stuff is staying in my body and it, Mm -hmm. It can meet up with other toxins, let's say something that I ate or breathed in that day. So, even Dr. Sherry Rogers, who's written, she was is an MD and she herself was on meds and had a hard time. You know, it was functional medicine that she got her life back. So, I'm a big believer, and not everybody can find them, and sometimes it's all out of pocket. And um, but I think if we can just this stuff you can do that's gentle and easy. And I'm not a big believer in just taking a supplement. I think we have to do everything very slowly because, again, if your phase one is bad, I know somebody who's phase one, she had the test on her phase one, was so bad that if she even took an ounce of carrot juice, she could feel psychotic. So we're all Mm -hmm. different. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So 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 then came, um, so you're asking how we got into the podcast. So my son was like, all right, enough is enough. And we're going to be doing a podcast of the thing now. So My son, Garrett, is the one that organizes the whole thing. And, you know, I would get the show ready, and he sits there with me. You know, he does all the computer stuff. And so we got the first one out. Then we got out um, the next two and then the fourth one. And then, unfortunately, my husband, um, we found out he had uh, Merkel cell carcinoma, which is a Hmm. very rare, aggressive cancer. And um, so needless to say, everything came to a halt. And then as we're trying to get treatment for that, um, we find out he also has acute myeloid leukemia. And oh, no. so now comes the second diagnosis. And my daughter was getting married um, Labor Day weekend, and we have to move her wedding up and get her married in 10 days. So mm-hmm. need to say, I'm in a Dana Faba every day for radiation, coming home, working on uh, you know the wedding, and then mm-hmm. you know, doing the wedding, and then into the hospital he goes for a month. And it's just... It's been a long year and we had other deaths. And um, so we're actually getting ready to start doing them again because now that. um, So my husband actually was finally cleared in um, March of leukemia. We thought he was fine with the Merkel because he had surgery back, you know, last year. And while we decide finally we're going to take a vacation and while we're away, his biopsy results come in and the Merkel cell carcinoma is back fourth stage metastasized. Oh. So he's having immunotherapy right now, okay. and um, he's responding pretty well. So
2: oh, finally,
1: my husband's listening to me and, and doing a healthy diet, too. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Not meticulously like I would like him to. Me, I'd be, like, you know, meticulous. But And I think, um, and now again, for, um, uh, you know, the first show we're going to have coming back, my son has me doing, where have I been for a year? You know, it's mm-hmm. like I dropped off, you know, the planet. And I'm still going to be involved in Benz and stuff just I can't do it like before. And and this again right. is why podcast is so important. One of the things people need going through this that I think we've all learned is constant reassurance. You mm-hmm. need it all day, every day. Am I going to get better? And that's what all the phone calls were all those years. You know, they'd call again Am I? you know, tell me again and tell me again. So the podcast, put it on, you know, put it on, listen to it. That's why I mainly want to bring on, I mean, I do have experts. I had like, 40 people lined up when my husband got sick, but I've got some great survivors or people that were involved in the Benson community years ago that people don't even know about where did the original pioneers come from? So I want, right. I'd love to get, you know, them. It's funny when people say I'm one of the original ones. Well, there were some even before me.
0: <laughs> that would be really interesting.
1: Yeah. And you know, and I'm still in touch with a lot of them and, oh, you know, great. and uh, some of the original organizations and um, yeah, it's, So, and here's another thing, anybody listening, our lives get so closed in Mm -hmm. and I am so grateful for the internet because at a time in my life where I had a very social job prior to Ativan, I worked in human resources. I, you know, I probably knew almost all of the 800 employees and then you go from being agoraphobic in your house, being so filled with anxiety and panic attacks that you think you can't breathe and you've got children and they see this life that you're leading. But at the same time, the internet opened up my world and I have people that I feel closer to all over the world now (laughs) because we have suffered the same suffering that is, unless you've been through it, you can read about it, you can do whatever, but unless you've been through it, nobody will ever know. Because when, um, I mean, I am one of the ones that sued and um, I had a choice of, you know, settling or going to trial. And my thought was, if they look at me, they're going to go, well, she looks fine. And probably half of them are taking Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan. And I thought, no, we were. It was too, you know, we, we weren't even as far as we are now. And the only reason I sued again is because the pharmacist said, unless we have lawsuits, and he knew I had a clean record, you've got to have a meticulous record to no. sue. And we've, you've got to make a difference because I know somebody else here in Massachusetts that was suing, and I knew she wasn't going to make it because she was still. They had her on five medications to wean off of, to get they cold turkeyed off one, mm-hmm. put her on five. Mm-hmm. She when she met me, she got off of four of them, but then had to get off that fifth one and she was still weaning off it when they went to trial. Yeah. And you know, you got to be have a clean record. Yeah.
0: I tell you. That's it's it's, it's a, the the history that you you have Geraldine that you can share is pretty amazing and and just one more thing on your podcast, um, you know, anything we can do here to help you know, send people your way too and, and keep that going. Right. And, you know, we'll be happy to continue to talk yeah. about your podcast because we're all on the same team and this is just... We're
1: all on the same team. It doesn't exactly. matter how many books are written, how many podcasts. No. The more the merrier, how many Absolutely. how many documentaries come out. Exactly. It's, we've got to keep pushing.
0: And we're going to close out part one of the interview right there. Please, if you want to hear the rest of this interview, check out episode 27 for the second part. Many, many, many thanks to Geraldine for taking the time to share so much with us today. I am very grateful, and I hope to have her back soon. I have put links to her podcast and website in our show notes. And that closes out our feature. Now, let's take just 30 seconds for our disclaimer before our moment of peace. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drug should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org/disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should do this exercise only if you are in a safe place. If you are any place where it is not safe to close your eyes and meditate, then please wait and do this later. Today we're going to take a look at our feelings, at our emotions. We'll start with a standard breathing meditation, just focusing on our breath as we inhale and exhale. Anyone who has tried meditation knows that thoughts will arise. Our usual instruction in meditation will to let the thoughts go and return to our mantra or focus on our breath. But today we're going to do something slightly different. We still want to let the thoughts pass and not cling to them, but we do want to hang on to the feelings associated with them, the emotions which come with our thoughts. Every thought has a feeling tied to it. Experience this feeling without judgment, whether it's a feeling of joy, pain, love, hate, frustration. It doesn't matter the sensation, just explore it. Let the feeling permeate throughout your body without judgment. Just feel it. While the thought that triggered the feeling passes by like clouds in the sky, the feelings linger. And you can embrace that without fear or resistance. Eventually, when you stop fighting this feeling, the feeling will dissipate much like your thoughts. And you can return to focusing on your mantra or breath. So, let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second, and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second, and let it out slowly, along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second, then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally, and focus on your breath. And when a thought arises, Let the thought pass, but embrace the sensation, the feeling, the emotion which comes with it. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breath again, no judgment, but hang on to the feeling. Continue to do this for one minute. After this two-part interview with Geraldine Burns, our next episode will be episode 28, and it will be released Wednesday, July 24th. Thank you again for joining me today, and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.